I'm going to start by reading our entire text. We're studying the book of Acts. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. This has been, uh, I have just been really enjoying this study. Acts is uh, chronicles the story of the early church. Today's story is uh, quite interesting. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. I'll read the whole passage and then we will unpack it. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. All right, go back to my dynamite cartoon there. September 20th, 1996, I was, uh, had not yet graduated from college. I graduated that year. Uh, Phil and Bonnie Stiller were driving around at 2 o'clock in the morning, and they were inebriated. And in their drunken stupor, they thought it would be fun to light uh, quarter sticks of dynamite and toss them out the window while they're driving. Now, they just happen to carry dynamite in their car. So uh, Paul, he's like, oh, that's a great idea. So he lights it, you know. The problem is uh, he forgot to roll the windows down. So, you know, he's drunk going, hey, I can't get it out. Boom blows up. He goes, he's hospitalized. Bonnie gets arrested for drunk driving. It's one of the, you know, the stupid things people do. But in our Bible story today, some Christians in, in the early church uh, decided that playing with magic was about like lighting a quarter stick of dynamite in a car with the windows rolled up. And through this story, they came to conclude That's something we don't want in our life at all. And so they burned the books. You know, we live in a society in which uh, magic uh, and the occult is on the rise. It's becoming almost uh, ubiquitous uh, in our society. You can buy Ouija boards at Toys R Us. Uh, At any moment, you can get on the telephone, 1-900, and consult a psychic. You go to most uh, fairs, you're going to find tarot card readings. Uh, You'll see teenagers playing with tarot cards in coffee shops. 
Go to Barnes and Nobles and you browse through the young adult book section. It's unbelievable. Spells, vampires, uh, warlocks, uh, stuff of the occult. It's quite ubiquitous. Uh, New age, crystals. But uh, if there's one point of our story, uh, the one point our story makes today, it's this. uh, Christians should have nothing to do with magic. Because it is associated with darkness, and God is a God of light. It's part of the kingdom of darkness. It's part of the demonic world, and we're not to have anything to do with it. Here's a definition of magic I think captures it well. Magic is the art of producing a desired effect or result through the use of incantation or various other techniques that presumably assure human control of supernatural agencies or the forces of nature. I like the word presumably. Presumably assure control of supernatural agencies or the forces of nature. Let's go back to our text and uh, walk through it, and then we'll apply it to our lives. Verse 11. By the way, here's the background. Uh, The Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey, and he is in the city of Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And he's been in Ephesus for quite a while. In fact, uh, in verse 10, we're told that he continued there for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul spends over two years in Ephesus proclaiming the gospel. And people have been converted in Ephesus. Christianity has begun to take root. Ephesus, by the way, uh, had a reputation in the ancient world as the city of magic. Uh, Last week, Isaac noted how Paul commented on how many idols there were. This is a city full of idols. And a city full of idols is a city of, full of lost people on their way to hell. And that grieved Paul's heart and motivated him to share the gospel. Well, Ephesus, I mean, in, in the ancient world, to have a reputation for magic is a big deal. Uh, they, part of their economy was idolatry and um, selling of incantations, and you could get people in Ephesus who would come and perform a magic ritual and spell to help you control your world, right? It was known as the city of magic. Verse 11, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. I love that. Paul's not doing miracles. God's doing miracles through Paul. That's very important. Paul does not have power to heal. Paul does not have authority to cast out demons. God does. And so God is choosing to work through the apostle Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of him. That's some, that's some pretty miraculous stuff. Paul didn't even have to be there. God was uh, choosing to work through Paul in such a way that all you had to do was take a handkerchief that had touched him and people were healed and demons came out. And and why did God do this? God did this because he was trying to 
validate Paul's message and his ministry because Paul was in Ephesus proclaiming Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And the miracles, as have been throughout Acts, God used miracles in the early church uh, to validate the message of the gospel. The only legitimate safe power that we want in our lives, influencing our lives, working through us, is the power of God. The only spiritual authority you want in your life is God's spiritual authority. And what we're going to see is there is a power that exists that's not God's power. It's demonic. It's dangerous. We don't want to have anything to do with it. Verse 13, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Adjure is a fancy word for command. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Now, it's my understanding that uh, God did give the Jewish people prior to Jesus Christ some ability to um, cast out demons. Now, once Christ came in the world, that ended, and God has, since the time of Christ, God only releases people spiritually through his son, Jesus Christ, and through uh, his followers. So, but, there were a lot of Jewish exorcists roaming around the world, and their um, services were for hire, so that's what these guys were. These seven sons of Sceva, they're not Christians, Uh, They're the sons of a Jewish high priest, and people hired them to cast out demons. And why do they start adjuring people? Uh, Why do they try to use the name of the Lord Jesus? I think because they probably, they certainly had heard and probably had seen the wild success this Paul guy's having. And uh, they're like, well, let's get in on this, you know. You bring a handkerchief and and evil spirits are coming out, so uh, let's weigh in. Problem is they don't seem to recognize that the power Paul has comes from a relationship that he has with God. It's the power of God through Paul because of Paul's because Paul is a servant of God's Son Jesus Christ. They try to use it like an incantation, somehow that the name of Jesus has got magical power. Verse fifteen. But the Spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? I don't think the Spirit didn't know who they were. Probably could have named them. Demons have a whole lot of knowledge. What he's saying is, I do not recognize your authority in the spiritual realm. Jesus, I know who he is. I love that, by the way. It's not, I know who he was. I know who he is, because Jesus is alive. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty, and he has all authority on heaven and earth. Remember he said that, all authority on heaven and earth is mine. And I'll be with you to the end of the age. And and here's this demon acknowledging, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. He knew who Paul was. He knew Paul was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But who are you? What the demon is saying is, If Jesus were commanding me, I would have to obey. 
If Paul were commanding me, I would have to obey. But you, I don't have to obey you. Who are you? You have no spiritual authority. In fact, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped upon them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So I don't know if the evil spirit, you know, knew how to pump the adrenal gland or gave him like karate skills like uh, Chuck. But somehow he, one guy overpowers seven, strips him naked, and uh, leaves him kind of bloody. Now the question that I posed to the text that, I, that unlocked its, its application to me uh, was this. I asked, why did this story have the result it had? What is it about this story when it got out? Why did this story, when it got out, have the effect it had? Starting in verse 17, we start to hear about the, the impact that this story had. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. What happened to the seven sons of Siva got out. Either they told people what happened, or remember, they were itinerants who had been hired. So maybe the family and friends were around to see whether this evil spirit would actually come out. They watched what happened, and word, word spread throughout Ephesus. So here's the result. Number one, and fear fell upon them all. Why fear? Why did, why did the story cause fear? This is a city of magic, did they not? Were they not aware that they were dealing with the demonic world? Why did this make them afraid? Maybe they didn't. Maybe like so many Americans, maybe they thought to themselves that there's like this impersonal force out there that our magic helps us tap into and manipulate for our ends. But what magic, what, uh, part of the allure of magic is that we are in control. What, but we're never in control. The demons are in control. But magic suggests that I can, uh, I can manipulate power, spiritual power, uh, for my benefit. So I think what the Ephesians, Jews and Greeks, recognize through this story is, whoa, uh, there is a conscious, powerful, destructive spiritual realm out there that we're in danger of opening our lives to. That's scary. That we're not in control of. We don't have authority over. And that should put fear in us, shouldn't it? The demonic world is not something to trifle with. It is a powerful, uh, a powerful kingdom. A kingdom under whom most people on earth are uh, enslaved and under the authority of. And so it should have put fear in them. And it says, secondly, the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Why, was the, why did this story extol the name of the Lord Jesus? Because I think people recognized in the story well, Jesus does have authority. In fact, this demonic realm uh, clearly stated that they would have to respect Jesus and Jesus' servant Paul. And so uh, the risen Lord Jesus was understood through this story as having uh, authority in the spiritual realm. 
verse 18. And also, many of those who were now believers came. So we've talked about the impact it had on sort of uh, society at large, on the unbeliever, and now it talks about uh, the effect of this story on the Christians. Many of those who were now believers came, number one, confessing. What is confessing? Confessing is acknowledging uh, that I have sinned, that my dabbling in magic is sinful because it's me collaborating with the kingdom of darkness. And God is the kingdom in the kingdom of light. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, the truth that we lie and the truth is not in us. God will not have anything. When we're, when we're practicing magic and dabbling in the occult, God is not at all there. And so number one, the Christians confess, and number two, they divulge their practices. Uh, what does that mean? To divulge means to bring what is secret out into the light. And in, in the world of incantation and magical spells, the, the power is precisely in its secretness. And so when you bring a, a secret incantation or spell out into the light, you break its power. It's the same as burning. It's, it's kind of has the same impact as burning the books. And that's the next thing. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. So these are Christians. Christians who, uh, yes, we're followers of Jesus, but we also have uh, magic books incantations, and they're giving them up. Three takeaways. Number one, the most obvious takeaway from this scripture is uh, Christians should have nothing to do with magic. Magic is off limits to the Christian. Uh, Ouija boards, no. Uh, Talking to the psychics, no. Tarot cards, no. Uh, New Age crystals, no. The uh, horoscope, no. Be very, very careful also what you entertain yourself with. You're reading the vampire stories and you're reading the uh, stories about teenage witches and uh, other stuff, warlocks. Be very careful. Why are you reading that stuff and what's it doing to your heart and your mind? It's, it is the kingdom of darkness. Why, do we, why would we uh, pull that in? Whatsoever things are true and lovely and noble of good report, think on these things. So we put, we're you know, polluting our minds. Number two, if Jesus is taking care of you, you don't have need of magic. I think that's another implication uh, that these early Christians saw in this story. Jesus is the one with the authority in the spiritual realm, and if you've got Jesus on your side, what do you need magic for? Why why have the lesser power when we as Christians, we can talk to God, we can come into the very presence of God because of our relationship with the Son, Jesus Christ. We can ask him for things. We can bring, in fact, he tells us, bring our entire life before him. Involve him in every little detail of our lives. He wants us to, and he will take care of us. He, he promises to do that. And so if we've got Jesus caring for us, we have no need of magic. That's a freeing, liberating truth. The final takeaway is this. I'm going to sit on this for a little bit. The final takeaway is uh, trusting Jesus means you have no plan B. 
trusting Jesus means you've got no plan B. To understand the, the significance of what's happening here, think, think again about, think about their culture. In Ephesus, if you wanted to get pregnant, in Ephesus, if you wanted someone to fall in love with you, you wanted uh, someone you cared about to come back safely from their journey, if you wanted your crops to go, your business to be successful, if you wanted uh, to be healed from a sickness, in Ephesus, what you did is you, you went and involved the magician. We have a spell for that, an incantation for that, a potion for that, right? In Ephesus, they used magic to control, manipulate their world. The Christians who grew up in Ephesus were not impervious to this. This was the entire cultural milieu. In fact, it's, it's Christian people who have incantations at home and magic books at home. They've got plan B. If, if Jesus, if my prayers fail to produce the result I want, well, I've always got the incantation. And think about this. I'm assuming some of these incantations uh, had been brought into the family generations earlier. Grandpa, great-grandpa got this, you know, bought this incantation off a Persian uh, magician. And the family probably had stories about how, God, how it had been how it had worked, right? There is a kingdom of darkness. Some of this stuff works. And they could tell, you know, the family had told stories about how this incantation that the family had access to, owned, had produced wonderful results. Magic books that had been in the family for generations that, as we see, were worth a lot of money. They had a plan B. So, so here's what I want you to understand. When they... Brought, when they divulged their practice, when they brought their incantations into the light, when they burned the magic books, they were burning the ships. They were saying, no more plan B for us. We are casting ourselves 100% on Jesus Christ. We are going to limit our, ourselves to pursuing life His way with no ungodly means. Now, for us today, plan B is probably not magic books. Maybe for some, and if so, run, run away. But we've, don't we, aren't we so tempted with plan B? Hey, I, I'm a Christian, but I gotta, I, I'm going to keep that affair to make sure that I've got you know, full relational satisfaction. I'm a Christian, but I've got to have my pornography so I get you know, my sexual needs met. I'm a Christian, but lying is, is necessary for me to get out of the tough spot. I'm a Christian, but I, I, I do embezzle sometimes from, from the company because I've got to have you know, more money than I make in my job. I'm a Christian, uh, but I need to, if I don't use anger sometimes, how am I going to get what I want? And so... In addition to saying, no more magic, I see here, no more plan B. Two more things, and I conclude. And they, Number one, and they counted the value of the books they burned, found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000. Uh, 
Some claim that that's present-day value of between five and ten million dollars. Why is why is the price included? Because it speaks of true repentance. Burning Plan B often costs us something. When I was a kid, uh, my brothers and I were into Dungeons and Dragons, and one day my mom walked through the downstairs as. One of us had been possessed by some spirit and went on a berserker and, you know, I think it was me and I was all excited because I was winning. My mom heard that, boom, the table and all the Dungeons and Dragons stuff went on the floor. She's gathering it up. This is going in the trash. And I remember Scott, the eldest, was like, Mom, I've got like 300 bucks into that stuff. I don't care. Can I sell it? No, you're not going to sell it. That goes, that's going to warp some other kid. It's going in the trash. That's what's happening here, right? We're not going to... They could have gone and sold the incantations, but that would have harmed other people. This is wicked stuff, and we're going to burn it. And it costs us. True repentance costs. And then this, verse 20, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mighty, mightily. When, when the people of God burn plan B... And cast themselves wholly upon Christ. And they limit themselves to pursuing life God's way. What's the result? Their witness uh, just goes crazy. The word of the Lord continued to increase, prevailed mightily. God worked even more powerfully through them in Ephesus. You ever heard of the letter to the Ephesians? You know, this, this became a powerhouse church. So... If you want to close your eyes, you don't have to, but bow your head. We're going to respond here. Response number one. If you've got magic in your life, get rid of it. It is, a, it is part of the kingdom of darkness. You don't want to have anything to do with it. It's dangerous. It's opposed to the things of God. Desires to destroy you. You are not in control. That is an illusion. It has control of you. Confess that to the Lord. Turn your back on it. Burn. Burn it. Number two, do you, do you have a plan B in your life? Maybe the Holy Spirit has pointed out your plan B. Are you willing to bring it out in the open? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get rid of it, no matter the cost? And finally, listen, if you are not a, a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, then the demonic world says, who are you? I tell you what, I want my name to be, a, to be known because of my association, my relationship with Jesus. I want the demonic world to say, Jesus, I know. Mike, I recognize him. He's indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We can't touch him apart from the express permission of God. He has authority in the spiritual realm because God works through him. I want that for you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, may the fear of the Lord come upon you today. And may you say, God, uh, I, I repent of my independent life, my life apart from you where I sit on the throne. I get off the throne of my life and I invite you, Lord Jesus Christ, sit upon it. Jesus, I receive what you 
your death upon the cross as, as sufficient payment for my sin, and now I'm going to let you be the Lord of my life. Please don't let today go by without doing that. And at the end of the service, please come forward for prayer. Nothing I'd rather do than to share that decision with you, talk to you about some next steps in following Jesus. Lord God, we love your word as light unto our feet, lamp unto our path. Thank you for, release, for releasing us from the kingdom of darkness and, and allowing us to enter into the kingdom of your good son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.